Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 136. This is Sarah Lytle. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. This month, we're bringing you something a little bit different. Our musical guest is William Franklin, and he's a Latter-day Pirate. We'll share our interview with him and three songs that he and his band, Gunsway, recorded in our studio. We have interviews with Kara Barnard, Donna Slack, and Christy Crandall. We'll also share essays from Jim Eagleman, Chuck Wills, and Dave Seastrom. Segment one opens with the period song, John Paul Jones, and then we'll listen to our conversation with William Franklin. Kara Bernard talks about the youth music showcase and the fingerstyle guitar contest. Donna Slack will tell us about Invasive Plants and the Native Woodlands Project event taking place on July 22nd. And we'll close with another pirate song called Barrett's Privateers. This is John Paul Jones by Johnny Horton, our very own American pirate. Paul Jones was a little boy, he pointed to the sea, said, when I get to be a man, a fighting man I'll be, I'll leave my mark on the ocean and my name in history. When John Paul was a member of the British Admiralty, he killed a sailor on his ship, which was a crime you see. Changed his name to J.P. Jones and he came to America. He fought in the rain and he fought in the sun and he fought in the moonlight too. He fought with his knife and he fought with his gun and he fought till his blood ran through. Well, John Paul Jones was a fighting man, a fighting man was he. He sailed to the east and he sailed to the west and he helped set America free. When John Paul was a captain in U.S. Naval Band Fighting for the glory And the freedom of our land He made those British captains Wish that they were on dry land He sent their mighty vessels To the bottom of the sea He took their bags of treasure And he sank their chests of tea He gave his blood for all free men And his life for liberty He fought in the rain and he fought in the sun And he fought in the moonlight too He fought with his knife
knife and he fought with his gun and he fought till his blood ran through. Well, John Paul Jones was a fighting man, a fighting man was he. He sailed to the east and he sailed to the west and he helped set America free. He fought in the rain and he fought in the sun and he fought in the moonlight too. He fought with his knife and he fought with his gun and he fought till his blood ran through. Well, John Paul Jones was a fighting man. So it is my pleasure to introduce William Franklin, who is in here with his band, Gunsway, and we've just been treated to some excellent music that portrays the uh, the times and lives of pirates as a kind of a theme. And in fact, William, you yourself and Gingy are dressed as pirates. Uh, Robbie is dressed as a deckhand. Uh, he's the drummer. He's our swabby. He's your swabby, yes. We were just talking about your origin story in regards to the interest in pirates and all of that. And I find that very interesting. I mean, so you were basically lured in by being exposed to your family's interest in all of that from early days. How did this end up manifesting? As you said, you were called to be a pirate. Yes. So do you consider yourself a a latter-day pirate of sorts? In as much as one can be achieving a life of piracy in the 21st century, what with AI and Hadron Colliders, yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a long-reached personal goal of mine. Well, it strikes me that this is more mythological than actual piratry, which involves uh, thieving and uh, mayhem and murder and what all. Uh, I assume you don't actually do any of those things. No, of course not. Right. Of course not. And uh, I'm also going to guess that you don't have a ship and you're not out plying the seas in in pursuit of wealth and fame. Well, we have a flag. A flag? Well, a flag is a good place to start. Good place to start. As long as you have colors to fly under, you know where you belong. And, you know, our listening audience is not privy to the visuals because this is radio. This is radio. Uh, But William is quite decked out in a um, pirate uh, array. The flag itself has a skull and a, a sword, is it? It is modeled after the, the typical style of Jolly Roger, the skull and crossbones. But yes. the skull is in profile, and beneath it is a rather long flintlock pistol yeah. and a lightning bolt. Lightning bolt, there you go. Normally we play more electric style. We do like harder classical rock, like the song Ballad of William Kidd by Running Wild. We play with a bit more edge to it. Okay. So the lightning bolt, of course, is to signify the electrification of our music, our amplifiers, and uh, firing through the flintlock mechanism on the pistol as as to represent the electric cry for battle. Probably one of the most unreliable weapons at sea that you could ever hope for. Right. Um, The powder had to stay dry and the flint had to spark, and you only had one shot. Yeah, and it Uh, took a good couple minutes to reload in the middle of Panic. Panic and mayhem, and not to mention the black powder smoke that obscured every vision that you'd hoped to have. Did I get them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's when you felt the womp against the side of your ship that they know you know that they got you. They got you. That's right. Yeah. I, I love that you have this romantic attachment to this. This is part of your actual persona, correct? Yes, this is who I really am. Okay. And uh, you want to get into that a little bit? I mean... Boy, we're really opening up the diary here. Well... No, no, that's all right. Just being something that I've always been attracted to, there, there is 
of course, the darker side of piracy, the inhuman side of piracy, and not everyone who sailed the seas under the black was like that. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous pirates in his days, Captain Sam Bellamy, he was well known for being the Robin Hood of the seas. In fact, he mm -hmm. would compensate captains whose ships they had looted. He would give ships back to people. He was very forgiving. He didn't take captives, and not in the no quarter sense. Like, they didn't hold prisoners. So there were people that were just trying to, you know, means to an end, make a living in a rather unfashionable form. Well, they were also often uh, operating under a commission from a government or a kingdom. When they were uh, privateers. Yes, and uh, that was an official status that they had, and they were part of uh, what was then modern warfare. Mm -hmm. You know, ships at sea conducting war. Um, that evolved into a pretty sophisticated uh, type of weapon that dominated for a very long time. It still does, in a way. Right. Well, it's evolved over the years. Yeah. But yeah. there's... I think that there is something to be said, especially because we do not live in the age of sail, the golden age of piracy. All we really have is myth. Okay. We, we have some reliable source histories. People are still cobbling together the truth. That's what the historical society is about. I was out there looking in the cases at right. all the little chunks of pottery. And anthropology is archaeology in a way. We're trying to piece together our greater history and how those things still trickle down and, like you were talking about, affect things today. Um, and even beyond the age of piracy into America, like uh, the sport of NASCAR, we wouldn't have it without you know, bootleggers and moonshiners and yeah. people operating outside of the law to make a living. And there's an aspect of that. And like Bonnie and Clyde, for instance, that there's a very strong vein in America with outlaw culture. You look at the success of Clint Eastwood and Chuck Norris, that there's something about the people that are on the fringes and the outsides that are remaining vigilant and are just morally gray enough to be able to do the things that people of pure heart cannot be able to do. Okay, so this is where a lot of this energy is coming from for you. Yeah, and again, has been cobbled together from a lifetime of different sources, not okay. just pirates. Well, I notice you don't wear a cutlass. Mm -mm. Uh, so you're actually a peaceful pirate then. Yes. And, and that's probably the Friendly best. Friendly pirate. That, that's probably the best type of pirate in these days. But Chances are if we board your ship, we're going to be sharing our rations with you and having a merry old time. It's not about <laughs> thieving. It's about sharing this brief and merry life that we have, memento mori and all yeah. that. Well, uh, honestly, there's nothing more romantic than the sea. And of all the things that took place on the sea, pirates certainly rank. Absolutely. Yeah. And th it's just exciting that you have embraced this, and it's part of your act, and it's part of your persona. Is there a way that we can get a hold of you, that we can follow you, that we can find out where your next gig is? You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, more than likely in the very near future, under Gunsway. Okay. G-U-N-S-W-A-Y, all one word. Excellent. Do you have any gigs coming up? I do a solo act, which is essentially an extension of what my band does at Open Mic on Wednesdays down at the Brown County Inn. Uh, the Brown County Inn is one of our uh, supporters, and uh, yeah, that's a fine event. They're very wonderful to have me there, and it very much fits the kind of tavern vibe, so I enjoy performing there.
I will admit, I've long felt that there is something about Brown County being a, this is my hometown. I've been outside here, lived a couple other places, but this is the center of my universe. And people regard Indiana as the crossroads of America. It's the slogan for the state. And in a way, I think that Brown County is the crossroads of Indiana. That even in the history of how this county was formed, the three neighboring counties where they were all right. joined and met, they wanted to establish their own independence, their own voice, their own place to call home. And in the beginning, they were rogues and ruffians and gamblers. And, and artists, too. And, and artists. Exactly. And moonshiners. So I would agree, even though we are quite landlocked, the closest large body of water is Lake Monroe or Lake Michigan, if you dare. We're not anywhere near the coast, but if being a landlocked pirate is a perverse irony in itself, and I'm happy to live it. Hey, gargantuan hole in the bow. Will the ocean to enter allow? Oh, but more a sin than letting it in is letting our good fortune out. The nest to the storm did succumb while the crow hid his fear in the rum. And the mast it broke and threw out the bloke and well now he surely might chop. This is Chuck Wills with the Brown County Hour, and I am recording remotely tonight in the studio of Kara Barnard. Hi, Kara. Hey, Chuck. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having the show into your studio tonight. Of several things we want to talk about, uh, primarily, you are most recently the national dulcimer champion. Yes, I am. I am currently the queen of all dulcimers. Tell us about that. How, how does that come about being? Yeah. Well, uh, you and I both know a lot about Winfield, Kansas. That's where they hold uh, the Walnut Valley Festival every year, and they have the national and international competitions and all the main acoustic instruments, bluegrass instruments, flat-pick guitar, finger-style mm-hmm. guitar, which you and I are very uh, a big part of. Um, mountain dulcimer, hammer dulcimer, auto harp, banjo, mandolin. Chris Thiele was a winner out there uh, in the mandolin competition. So a lot of people that are like big instrumentalists have have become national champions. And so I know that you've gone to the international competition for a number of years, sometimes as a participant, sometimes as a, a right. spectator. Right. So like I used to compete in the fingerstyle competition in the late 90s did that until I felt like I wasn't becoming, you know, like every year you, you, I, I would try to be a better guitar player. That was the reason I would compete. That's the reason I've ever competed. It makes me a better musician when I compete. Mm-hmm. And so I, you, you know as well as anyone that I pretty much had retired from all that stuff. Um, but when I turned 60 last year, I'm now 61, I thought what a cool thing to do for my 60th birthday is to finally dig in and win one of those competitions. And so I just put my mind to it and and, and that's what I did. And you chose dulcimer this time. I chose, I chose dulcimer. I tell you, honestly, at 61, my hands, fingerstyle guitar and banjo particularly, um, my hands are getting pretty arthritic, mm. you know. And so I'm done. Right. I still teach all that other stuff. Sure. I'll play and teach until the day I die, but competitively, mountain dulcimer is more my speed. Well, and truly, what, what a life achievement, the national champion for mountain dulcimer. Yeah. What does that mean? That means that when I go to Arkansas, I am a big-time celebrity. 
<laughs> they roll out the red carpet. It was so weird. I've been playing a lot of festivals. I, I brought myself out of performing in uh, retirement, and so I'm getting to go all over the country and, and meet new people, and, and it's mostly, it, for me mostly, it's about promoting my teaching program. What are some of the perks of, of that prize? Well, you, you might have noticed all the bumper stickers on my face and across my clothing and down my back. Yeah, um, the new tattoos. The Yeah. Um, those uh, bumper stickers all say New Harmony Dulcimers, and I am sponsored by New Harmony Dulcimers. Rick Gooden made a custom dulcimer for me that I'm now playing, and um, part, part of the deal is that I have to wear these bumper stickers everywhere I go. Well, it's and a good it's, look for you. I mean, at this point, as the queen of dulcimer, it's who you are. It, it's the brand. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, when you're not being a dulcimer goddess, yes, you are busy teaching. Yeah. And you've got many students, many different instruments, and one of the results of that is the upcoming youth showcase at the Brown County Playhouse. Yes, on July seventh. Doors open earlier than this, but the show actually starts at seven thirty, and all the kids will be out there. They practice really hard. It's a youth showcase. But then at the end of the show, for the finale, my really, really old people come up and join us, and we all play one big song together. Nice. So it's it's a fun night. It really is a blast. You know, we, we get to cheer the kids on, and some of them are going on stage for the first time. And the Playhouse is such a perfect venue because they get that whole backstage green room experience at that level of being nervous and then that relief of being out on stage and knowing that everything's okay. Yeah. So the other thing coming up later in the month mm -hmm. at the Playhouse is the Indiana State Fingerstyle Guitar Festival. Yes. The 12th year. Yes. I, I can't believe it's been going 12 years because every year it's bigger and better and exciting. And this year we've got Edgar and Mark Cruz, two brothers that I used to compete against in the early 90s that are just they, they, they are crazy, crazy good guitar player. Everybody that comes, the contestants, the guys that, that play the night stage. As we say, it's acoustic guitar playing like you've never seen before. So Friday, July 28th, mm -hmm. we're having our Friday night party, Yeah. as we do every year at the Brown County Inn. It's inside this year. Yeah. We've got a big stage set up inside. We have our previous winner, Ali from Turkey. Yes. And he's going to be on stage Friday night along with a few dozen other competitors. Right. Then we have the competition Saturday morning, July 29th. And that is at the Brown County Playhouse. And that will start at 11 a.m. sharp. Then the winners of that competition will get to come back for the concert that night at 7.30. We'll hear Mark and Edgar Cruz. And then to finish off the show, Michael Kelsey is coming back. It's going to be mind-blowing. The, the three guys have actually done some gigs together over the years, and they're really going to tear that stage up together. Kara, I hope you come to the show. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> but if any of our listeners want to learn more, they can go to indianastringfest.com or even browncountyplayhouse.org. Yeah. Well, Kara, thanks for hanging out for a little bit and talking about all these amazing musical things, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you out at the Playhouse. Good evening, I'm Pam Rader with the Brown County Hour, and I'm here with Dawn Slack, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad you could be here today. You're such a busy thank you. person. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, Dawn is the head of the Brown County Native Woodlands Projects. I see your signs on the Salt Creek Trail every time awesome. I walk there. And that, that project is actually under a bigger umbrella, which is the Indiana Invasive Initiative. That's correct. Which you're also involved in. And so I want you to tell us all about that. Well, the Indiana Invasives Initiative Project is a statewide project, and Indiana is the only one doing it this way. It is a grassroots project to engage our citizens to be involved in basically habitat restoration. So um, it's a hands-on thing. It's where every single one of us gets to be part of the solution. And that's really what it's all about. Um, it's pretty easy. We go out and talk to people about what an invasive is and what a native is, which is even more important. And then we show them and teach them how to be part of the bigger, the bigger conservation solution. And so you're about getting rid of invasives, yes. but also planting native? We are. Our focus in order to have native habitat, you have to address invasives. They are the elephant in the room that most of us just want to not worry about because they seem so overwhelming. But they must be addressed if we're serious about having native habitat. If we're serious about monarch butterflies, if we're serious about healthy bats, healthy water, healthy soil, we've got to address invasive species. Well, just to play the devil's advocate, so what? I mean, isn't that all part of nature and it's just another species moving in and the creatures will adapt? No to all that. Uh, <laughs> no, um, they they will not. It, it is. I know. I've heard it a lot. Green is green, Dawn. So let it be. But invasive species, um, per the per the definition, what we operate from, is something that number one is not native, and that means humans brought it. It that's 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 the mode of transportation. It's humans. We're global travelers, and we we like things. We bring them all over the world, and we share. So number one, it's non-native, and two. It causes harm. And so a lot of people think, well, I see this and it doesn't cause any harm in my yard, so what? I keep it under control. But it has been assessed by a panel of specialists nationwide, across the world, actually. Um, we all get together and talk about these things. And we put it through a rigorous, objective test. And it takes us multiple years to determine if it's causing harm. So think of kudzu. Pretty much everybody knows what kudzu is, the vine that ate the south. Well, kudzu does occur in Indiana, and all of these other plants that are on the invasive species list or that we deem as invasive are doing the same thing. Maybe not where you are, but they are having that effect somewhere. And, of course, we know um, research shows us that 83% of the invasive species that are in our natural areas, those areas we love, from Brown County State Park to Yellowwood, they all contain invasives, and we know that 83% of those woody invasives come from our landscape. That means that we're solution. We don't want to look at it as we're the problem, but we are the solution. So let's teach our landowners how to be part of this, um, how to be part of the solution. And how, what does the term weed wrangle mean? That's a weed wrangle is where we get together and we just bring our citizens together. We pick a beloved place, a park. Whether it's a city park, a state park, it doesn't matter. Um, and we bring those citizens together locally, and we teach them what a native and what invasive is. And then we pick a species that we're going to manage in that 
space that they that they occupy, that they love to play in, they love to enjoy. And we tackle that invasive. Mm -hmm. In Indiana, we do these weed wrangles at least three times per location because invasives are not a one and done. So we don't want our landowners to think, oh, you just take care of it one time, you're good. No. Mm -hmm. So in Indiana, we do them three times at least. We have a plan for that, that space. And then we gather our citizens together so that they can come be a, in a, have a positive role and maintaining that native habitat for that beloved space. And then they take that home and they do it at home. So how does the invasive control relate to pollinator decline? Well, invasive species um, often create um, ecological pollution or biological pollution, but they create monoculture. So if we think about what kudzu does, if we think about what multiflora rose does, or a lot of people know what autumn olive is, or even stilt grass, and they create these large, vast areas of one species. They kind of take over, push our natives out. Our pollinators are dependent upon a very special relationship that they have with our native species. That's the most amazing thing about this planet, relationships. It's all about relationships. And our insects, all the other species on the planet typically have a relationship with either one or a lineage of plants. That means, think of the monarch butterfly as the poster child. They're all that way. That's what's so special. Henry's elfin butterfly, they must have uh, redbud. Zebra swallowtail must have pawpaw. Spicebush swallowtail must have spice. We can go on. We could do this all year, every single day. So if they're all that way, mm -hmm. there's a relationship with that native plant. If we remove the native plants or they're taken over by the invasive, we've got a problem. We have a loss in our insect population. That means we have a loss in pollinators. I heard that uh, the majority of pollinators in Indiana feed on trees. Absolutely they do, especially here in Brown County. Um, Brown County's full of trees. Those are some of our, we come to Brown County to celebrate our beautiful trees. Um, pollinators use trees. They use shrubs. Uh, some of them may use purple coneflower, but many of them use many, many other species. So we shouldn't be removing our natives just to plant something that we think is the standard pollinator plant. That's, that's wrong. We're talking about relationships, many, many relationships. So let's celebrate what should be here. And if trees like oaks and hickories and tulip trees, if that's what should be where you are, celebrate them because they have their own suite of insects. You're part of a whole group of uh, organizations that are putting on a pollinator event mm -hmm. in our uh, fairgrounds mm -hmm. on July 22nd. And there'll be speakers, games for kids, critters, giving away things. And so can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think what, Brown County Soil and Waters were in it? Mm -hmm. League of Women Voters is in it? Yeah, um, NRCS will be there. There will be several different um, county groups like Brown County Native Woodlands. There'll be... Um, Indiana the Forest Alliance. Indiana Forest Alliance will be there. Bartholomew County Sisma will be there. The Sierra Club. Sierra Club, Johnson County Sisma. There's a whole bunch of people coming uh -huh. to help us celebrate Native Indiana. And they'll be there telling about what they do. That to help our pollinators. Cool. So it's, it'll be fun. So is there a website people can get involved and find out about weed wrangles? There is. So the best place to go to that is S-I-C-I-M dot I-N-F-O. 
And what does that stand for, S-I-C-I-M? It stands for SICM. That's the State of Indiana Cooperative Invasives Management. Okay. And that is the hub that's pushing all this grassroots movement to have every single county in this state celebrating their native species through these local organizations called Cooperative Invasive Species Management. And I like that. And I like it that Indiana's doing something. We are leading unique. the way. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Well, Dawn, thank you so much for coming in. So this next song is by a Canadian gentleman named Stan Rogers. This particular song is about a crew that was given a privateering commission, and things didn't fare so well for them. And this is called Barrett's Privateers. Oh, the year was 1778 How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now A letter of mark came from the king To the scummiest vessel I had ever seen Goddamn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas For American gold We'd fire no guns Shed no tears Now I'm a broken man On a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers Old Elsit Barrett cried the town How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now For twenty brave men, all fishermen Who would make for him the antelope's crew Goddamn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas For American gold, we'd fire no guns Shed no tears, now I'm a broken man On a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers The antelope sloop was a sickening sight How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now She'd list to the port with her sails in rags And the cook and the scuppers with the staggers and jacks Goddamn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns, shed no tears Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers On the king's birthday we put to sea How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now We were 91 days to Montego Bay Pumping like madmen all the way, goddamn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold. We'd fire no guns, shed no tears. Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier. The last of Barrett's privateers. On the 96th day we sail again. How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. When a bloody great Yankee hove in sight. With our cracked four-pounders we made to fight, goddamn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns, shed no tears Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers Now the Yankee lay low down with gold How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now She was broad and fat and loose in her stays And the catcher took the antelope to old days Goddamn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. There it was. 
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with a conversation we had about pirate radio in Bloomington, taking place in the 70s with Christy Crandall. And we'll hear a taste of Jolly Roger radio from that time. Jim Eagleman has an essay about cerulean warblers, Chuck Wills has a few thoughts about pirates, and Dave Seastrom reflects on being in a place in time. We'll close the show with the ballad of William Kidd. Yes, the rumors are true. Jolly Roger Radio has indeed returned. It's my pleasure to introduce Christy Crandall, who is a Brown County person who has returned from a lifetime of adventure down in Florida with a very interesting story about pirate radio. Hello, everybody. I'm here today to talk about pirate radio in Bloomington, which actually was happening in the late 1970s and early mid-1980s. I've started a research project to look into this. Pirate radio stations flourished kind of nationwide around that time in the early 70s, late 70s, even early 80s. But then after that, the FCC started cracking down on them and closing them down and threatening people with fines and confiscating their equipment. Well, anyway, Bloomington had its own brand of pirate radio. In the voice of uh, Bruce Quinn, who called himself the Flying Dutchman, And I was lucky enough to have attended IU during that period. And, you know, I'd be looking for a good radio show. And all of a sudden, I'd catch some really weird Irish music or or something that I'd never heard or something that I knew was a no-no, according to the FCC. And it turned out to be pirate radio. And you kind of never knew where it would be on the dial or never even knew what time it would occur. But there was a group of, of people in Bloomington at that time who were broadcasting from their apartments. And they would play things like old beer-drinking songs, old English songs, Irish songs, things, like I said before, that were banned by the FCC. 
And it was just delightful to come across uh, Jolly Roger Radio was what they named themselves. They would also put on radio skits that were very funny. They would do radio skits where they made fun of the FCC. They even made fun of the popular commercial stations like WNAP out of Indianapolis at the time, which was a huge station. Right. And they would make fun of them for playing Stairway to Heaven all the time. (laughs) Things like that. Yeah, that's kind of what drove many of us away from commercial radio. Fast forward about 30 years or so later, I ended up meeting some of the people who actually participated in the Jolly Roger Radio in Bloomington, who actually had recordings of the broadcast, a couple hours of recording. And I found out one of them could put me in touch with Bruce Quinn, and I, I decided to embark on this project to try to document the whole Jolly Roger pirate radio scene in Bloomington and tell the story because I went looking on the internet and there's almost nothing out there. There's a very little bit about pirate radio in college towns in the 1970s and 80s. Otherwise, you know, it's very obscure. So something you can't find on the internet, that's really, that's there you something. Go. So what I would like to do is today I'm here talking to you because I'm interested in finding people who actually listen to Jolly Roger Radio, or if you participated in Jolly Roger Radio, I would like to interview you because I'm planning on trying to put something together, uh, some kind of article or maybe even a documentary of this story. It's worthy of telling It's a great Hoosier story, you know, somebody who comes up and and does something that is very different and makes a success out of it. And then he got busted by the FCC. They took all his equipment and then he had to start over again. But he did. He was going to try to go legit. But he said it's no fair because you have to be wealthy at that time to get an FCC license. Yeah, it was a huge struggle for WFHB. I bet. Bruce Quinn has quite a story to tell about what happened to him. And I want to know what your take is on that story. How can people contact you? I've set up an email. It's called jrrproject at gmail.com. If you know somebody that heard Jolly Roger Radio, or if you participated in the broadcasts or anything, you were a call-in person, were interviewed by Jolly Roger, please get in touch with me, and I'd like to interview you. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this exciting story. And, you know, listeners, I bet a few of you remember that radio station. Why don't you get a hold of Christy and have a conversation? Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. When the black flag is hoisted upon the horizon, when treasure is to be sought, When reality seeks fantasy, out of the darkness comes Jolly Roger Radio. It's all for me beer and tobacco For I spent all me tin On them lasses drinking gin Far across the western ocean I must wander Up early, coffee cup nearby, I sit cross-legged on the back deck and listen to bird sounds around me. 
my yoga session for the day complete, I pick up my mat and head back to the porch to listen again. The repeated chirps, three or four, then an upward sweep with a little whip at the end. Wait, that's got to be a warbler. Oh, yeah, the cerulean warbler. I've heard that call in my bird app many times. And here it was, offered naturally by the actual bird, close and distinct. That bird got my interest peaked. By the way, cerulean, it's spelled C-E-R-U-L-E-A-N, in case you wondered. The cerulean warbler, like the color blue, as the plumage on the male shows, is a bird in trouble. The fact that it made it here to my woods for yet another spring and for the past millennia is too much for me to fathom. It hailed from the northwestern part of South America on the ocean side of the Andes Mountains, its favorite wintering grounds, and migrates to the eastern part of the U.S. and to Indiana's forests, here to feed, breed by late May, then repeat the long journey south, leaving this part of Indiana already by mid-August. This long-distance traveler is not easy to see. My many attempts failed as I developed what birders call the warbler neck, stiff throat and neck muscles from scanning the very tops of the oaks and hickories. I rub my neck, walk about, then change the view, but always looking into the very highest part of the forest canopy where I might see it flit about. Students from the HEE, the Hardwood Ecosystem Experiment Project, followed what they could of this bird's timid behavior a few summers ago when I was employed at Brown County State Park. They set up recording equipment, spotting scopes, and took turns monitoring a nest high in a sycamore tree near Lake Ogle. Confirming the actual nest, this information was added to the National Nesting Report maintained by Purdue University's Department of Forestry and Natural Resources and the Cornell University's Laboratory of Ornithology. Nesting attempts conducted of any bird of special concern is important data to secure whether any young or fledged from the nest also helps document numbers produced and helps determine if habitat requirements here are adequate. It appears forest removal in the Andes, where it overwinters, has contributed more to the actual decline of the bird than what it finds suitable here each spring. Still, the more we learn about birds worldwide helps to confirm or hopefully steer us clear of any decline in their numbers and the cerulean, along with other neotropic migrants, appears, at least for the time being, to be holding it steady. Learning warbler calls enough to pick them out from all the other calls we now hear in the woods is a works and project attempt. For me, a lifelong pursuit. Now with an app called Merlin, your phone can pick up and record all the birds you are hearing on the trail. A remarkable feat. It sure beats learning from an LP record album we had back in school. This was the mid-70s, and long playing albums on a turntable were the way to listen to maybe philharmonic orchestras. You could rock out to loud music with one song lasting the entire side of the album, or listen to bird calls. I recall visiting friends who were taking the same class. The album played in the background. After a series of chirps and whistles, the narrator on the record would say, The Black-Capped Chickadee, Song 1 and you'd hear the bird's incessant calling. Soon he'd say, The Black-Capped Chickadee, Song 2, with another lengthy recording, sounding only a bit dissimilar from the first. This went on for five or six songs with one bird, followed by a long list of other songbirds, all producing different versions of their song. Listening to this entire album in hopes of learning bird calls, it was absolute torture. Soon we opted for turning off the stereo and heading outside, 
to see the actual bird singing its call, which, by the way, we learned is probably the best way to learn bird calls, to see the actual bird singing. The bird album was for optional sale in the school's bookstore, and a few of us chipped in the $7 to buy it. You most likely wouldn't ever play the record again when the class had ended, and we weren't about to buy the album just for ourselves. This was one way to learn bird calls back in the 70s, if you had a few bucks and patience. The cerulean is a remarkable bird in that, like other migrants arriving, its sole mission is to attract a mate with some kind of buzzing or musical call somewhere in Brown County's vast extension of woods, rear a clutch of eggs to hatching, feed and attend to the young while in the nest, the most dangerous part of a bird's life, then migrate back to South America's Andes Mountains. I'd often look out over the many park vistas, some reaching 11 miles to the horizon, scan over the tops of hundreds of thousands of trees and envision a singing male or hear one calling sometimes all day in hopes a female also made the trip here and would hear him. Somehow they got together and more ceruleans happened. Remarkable. The history of the Brown County Forest is a changing landscape to consider early clearing for farming, brought on first by tremendous timber removal, and now a young and diverse woodland has over time apparently made this area suitable for this forest nester. The science aside, what we know of this bird's biology, its resilience, its continued path to destiny to bring off more of its own kind still amazes. So I continue to be a fan, watch for it where I can each time rejoicing that along with the wood thrush, the scarlet tanager, and the great crested flycatcher, they've once again graced our woods. Somewhat reassuring, if these birds can tolerate all the changes where they live and where they go, there may be hope. Surely, continued conservation efforts will help. Awareness and appreciation can, too. This is Nature Ramblings for the Brown County Hour, and I'm Jim Eagleman. Ahoy, me hearties. All hands on deck. Maybe you've seen this movie. I'm sure you have at some point. Out on the horizon, you see billowing white sails. As they come closer, you see three masts, then cannons. The cannons open fire as the schooner comes broadside. Men in vintage sailing garb swing on ropes to land on the shore, wielding broadswords and flintlock pistols. Children on rafts paddle for their mothers, hibachi grills are overturned, and the beach towels are set ablaze as Riddle Point Beach is overrun by the pirates of Lake Lemon. It's pandemonium. Okay, maybe you've not seen that movie, but you've seen one like it. Pirates overtake a coastal town, pillaging and looting as they swashbuckle their way down the coast, sometimes with a hold full of gold, or sometimes they're less fortunate and head straight for the bottom, down to Davy Jones' locker. It's a romantic notion, and how typical that the setting is a far-off place. Fiji, the Caribbean, we're dreaming after all, so why not? But let me ask you this. Why not Lake Lemon? Lake Monroe? The swashbucklers of Salt Creek has a nice ring to it. Crazy, sure, but hear me out. Today's episode is about pirates. Pirate music, pirate radio, pirate history, a bona fide pirate living in our midst. There's a romance to it that resonates with Brown County. I hear a defiant independence in our guests, a certain confidence that they are going their own way, sailing to the beat of their own drummer, so to speak. 
Think about it. That's very Brown County. Throughout history, Brown County folks have been hardy, resourceful, talented, and independent. They may not have plundered to fill their chests with gold, but they have staged more than one mutiny, and I know that there are several local pirates that will share a flagon of grog with you at the tavern tonight. If you were a pirate in, say, Boston, you would likely end up a caricature. It's just too close to the stereotype. You might as well be Captain Hook selling souvenirs on the boardwalk. It's almost expected, and your piracy loses its potency. But here, here, I think you can be a real pirate. It takes an intention to believe in yourself, to color outside the lines a little bit. If you are a pirate in Brown County, it's because you've found this place where independence is still a prize worth being won. If you're a pirate here, it's because you mean it. We get it. And maybe you've found your people. Life in the country has its own set of rewards and challenges. Located high on a ridgetop, my wife and I are situated in the heart of Yellowwood State Forest. From this unique perspective, we're able to observe lots of wildlife and experience the changing seasons. We're also in a wildlife corridor that's as timeless as the land itself. On a ridge close by, marine fossils can be found. These plants and animals date from a time when this area was covered by a shallow sea. Some 400 million years ago, when the continents were combined, they formed a massive landmass known as Pangaea, and at that time, Indiana was located at the equator. The continents slowly drifted apart, life flourished, and eventually the dinosaurs appeared. Theoretically, a meteor strike ended that era, and only the predecessors of birds and certain reptiles survived. Somewhere in the eons of time, the great forests that covered Indiana evolved, and with them the large animals that dominated the landscape. Arrival of the first humans did little to disrupt the balance of life, but evidence exists to suggest that early humans may have hunted the woolly mammoth and the mastodon into extinction. It was the European settlers who brought change on a massive scale. A relatively short period of time the great forests were cleared and all of the large animals in Indiana were hunted to oblivion. The great clear-cut that took place in Brown County was concluded by the turn of the last century, and by early 1900, when the landscape artists arrived, they relished a countryside that was vast and open. Ever so slowly, the forest returned. Large animals like deer, wild turkey, and bald eagles were reintroduced. And today, the landscape resembles what it was before settlement took place. Because the habitat has returned, a few folks are seeing mountain lions, and there are even reports of black bears in some southern counties of the state. In our neck of the woods, a few of the original critters common to this area have managed to hang on, and we have a population of rattlesnakes that make their annual appearance on the ridgetop. Our summer evenings are serenaded with the calls of barred owls, coyotes, whippoorwills, and countless frogs. The field next to the house is a gathering place for lightning bugs, and their nightly light show is on full display during the warmer months. Living with nature is challenging at times. Rattlesnakes are frightening to most folks, but we've learned to get along with them. In truth, they're docile creatures that don't want to mess with you any more than you want to mess with them. 
Given any chance at all, rattlesnakes will flee rather than confront. While these critters may seem the most challenging, as a gardener, deer are far more troublesome. Over the years, we've tried just about everything to keep them out of the vegetable garden. Eventually, we did what most gardeners do around here and erected an eight-foot fence. This does a great job of keeping the deer out, but we've learned the hard way that no amount of fencing will prevent raccoons from eating the sweet corn. These wily critters wait until the night before you're ready to harvest, and not only do they get all of the sweet corn, they make a mess of everything else while they're at it. Nature, while splendid and magnificent, is completely unpredictable. The other night, just as we were settling in for the evening, the sirens went off, and a gnarly-looking storm cell was heading our way. The warnings indicated the possibility of a tornado, and the prediction called for high winds with large hail. At the last minute, the storm turned south, and a moment later, the sun came out. Not everyone was as lucky as we were. One death occurred in the state, and a few local gardens were flattened by the hail. While nature provides and nurtures us, it can also be terrifying. Be it in the form of a scary snake or a sudden thunderstorm, nature always calls the shots. It seems to me it's all about cooperation, and when we bend our will to accommodate nature, all life forms benefit. We're all part of a long history of life on our one and only planet, and we've arrived at a crossroad. Will we go the way of the woolly mammoth, or will we learn to value and respect that which gives us life? The answer is up to us. Up here at the top of the Norman uplift, we're privileged to be a part of the continuum that, in one way or another, we all share. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. So this next song, it's by a German metal band that is called Running Wild. And they wrote a song about one of the most tragic characters in piratical history, Captain William Kidd. A lot of people know about him, but very few people know the story. This is called The Ballad of William Kidd. shore of Greenhawk in the year 1645 ran away at the age of 14 to flee from his soul-killing life he signed on to sail the wild winds but he worked down his hands and his knees he stood his test on the waters so they said he was bred to the sea in 1697 the adventure was setting her sails with a ladder of mark and reprisal kid was prepared for his trail they sailed the sea with a mission to hunt down to and long then serious riot was rising so kid struck down one of his men blue-blooded men they fell from grace piranhas eating their own they sacrificed at the altar of lies so fate took its course
horse in the ballad of William Kidd. Thanks for tuning in to episode 136 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming services. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Sarah Lytle, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.